Now coming to the plate, the prophet, Micah. Before we get started, let me take a moment to say how much I appreciate Jeannie Whitehurst for being with us. Um, I don't know if you know that, but uh, she talked about when she was here many years ago. Uh, somebody came up uh, uh, to her after the first service and said that she was like six years old when she was uh, here, and now uh, she's a grown-up woman. Uh, and so, uh, so she started her ministry really here. Uh, you may not know this. This, this church has uh, really forever been a big part of UM Army, correct? Did you know that Jeannie and a couple other clergy started UM Army? Uh, and so uh, for all of those of you that know that, this is the work that Jeannie did. Yeah. So... We basically have a Hall of Fame retired clergy here with us today, and I appreciate you for being here and helping out with our services today. Well, uh, back in 2017, Lamar finished high school, uh, our son Lamar. He was drafted out of high school back then, and I started watching the minor leagues in a way that I had never watched the minor leagues before. I'm a big baseball fan. Y'all might have heard that somewhere, uh, but uh, I always, you know, watched the major leagues, particularly the Astros, and uh, I would, you know, know of the players that they were, you know, kind of moving around in the minor leagues and hoping that one day they'd get there, but suddenly I started attending and watching the minor league games. And what I really appreciated about that was uh, the, the players really go into those games uh, with a passion for the game, a love for the game. Uh, they're there in the minor leagues to try to get better, and every game is another opportunity uh, for, their, for them to hone their skills and to improve. Uh, they just they play not for money. You might, <laughs> you might know that. Um, last year, I'm just going to uh, observation. Let me go back two years. Uh, they had to pay for their hotel room out of their huge salaries. Uh, so year before last, uh, the agreement became that they'd provide housing for them, which is a big boost of income. Last year, the collective bargaining for the minor leagues doubled their salaries so that now they're in the poverty level of income. Uh, and so um, I will tell you that they don't make a lot of money. I can tell you from personal experience uh, that they don't make a lot of money. That's why Lamar lives with us at home the six months or so, five months that he's not uh, in, in uh, you know, spring training and in season and all. Uh, so they're not out there saying, hey, I'm just knocking down the big bucks. Isn't this awesome? You know, they're there because they love the game. They enjoy playing it. They're trying to get better. And they do have a dream for maybe achieving that ultimate goal, which would be able to make it to the big leagues and that, uh, that really small number of people uh, of the thousands and thousands that ever play minor league baseball that hope to make it to the majors. Um, here's a statistic that uh, I learned, didn't know it till Lamar was drafted. Lamar was drafted in the fifth round. He was player, I believe it was 162, player 162 drafted in that year of 2017. His agent said to him, let me put this in perspective for you. He said, 
coming out of high school all the way through finishing college, that age group of baseball players that would then be eligible to be drafted uh, in the United States, not counting those from other countries, in the United States there's nearly one million eligible people to be drafted, 900 and some thousand. Uh, and so what he was saying is, Pat, your son was 162 out of 900 plus thousand. That's an amazing thing, right? So think about all those numbers and their goal to try to make it to the major leagues. So many things need to go right from them honing their skills, them doing quite well, uh, to not being injured, all those kind of things. So when you look at the 32 teams, I believe it is now, uh, that have a roster of about 26 people on it, that is the best of the best and had the right breaks and the right things to fall in place. And they, too, went through those minor leagues, and they, too, had to hone their skill, and they, too, were pers persevering for the love of the game. The sermon isn't really about baseball. <laughs> but as I thought about this particular sermon series and how we're calling it the minors, the minor prophets, it made me think about how the minor prophets were in their day. Uh, what separated the minor prophets from the major prophets? Well, I would say mostly what separated them was the fact that their timeline was a shorter time, or the people that they were talking to was a smaller group of people, or that they weren't able to uh, kind of be the one representing God's voice to the people for some long-term period of time. And so they are minor prophets. Their writings is a shorter, uh, uh, in this case, six chapters. Last week, remember, it was two chapters. These are the minor prophets. Now, here's what I would say that does connect them to the minor league baseball group, and that is that they are not doing it for the money. Uh, they are not experiencing a fun day every day. Uh, they are also having difficulty in uh, doing what they felt God had called them to do. But for their passion for God, for their love for God, they're going to give it their all to do the best they can to speak the word of God to the people of God so that they could hear what God wanted them to hear. That you know God might use them to help correct the people and redirect the people and get them on the right path. Uh, they were no less called by and had passion for and love for God than the major prophets. They just at a shorter period of time or a shorter writing that they came about. So when we say minor prophets, don't think that is less significant. Think that is timeline or what they had to write as being a minor part of the scripture or a minor part of the timeline of being a prophet in the days of Israel and what God used them to do. Now, as we talk about a minor prophet today, it's Micah. Uh, and Micah's background setting, I want to share with you before I get to the scripture, uh, as we turn our attention toward Micah. Uh, the setting of the book of Micah was in the ancient kingdom of Judah uh, in the 8th century B.C., uh, Micah was prophesying during the reigns of kings Jotham, uh, Ahaz, and Hezekiah. And they ruled Judah during this time, and it was a time of political uh, instability and moral decay. Not that we have any knowledge of what that might be like today. 
during this period, uh, uh, the kingdom of Judah was facing threats from neighboring uh, nations such as the Assyrians. Uh, they, they were there uh, in a general atmosphere of corruption, of idolatry, of social injustice. Uh, and Micah was boldly speaking out to the people uh, against the sins of the people, and he called them to repentance. And his message of justice, his message of kindness, his message of humility that was so important for the people, uh, the Israeli people to hear then, the people of Israel, for them to hear then, it's just as important for us to hear today. And so I want to turn to probably what I would call the culmination of his uh, six chapters and of his message. Uh, and that is uh, Micah chapter six and verse eight. And I want to share that with you so that you might hear the message Micah was sharing to them and see how that might apply for us today. This is what Micah wrote. He has told you, O mortal, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you but to do justice, to love kindness, and to walk humbly with your God? This is the word of God for the people of God, and we say, thanks be to God. Well, I want to say first and foremost, note that this does not say, what does the Lord suggest of you? Right? This says, what does the Lord require of you? If you want to be a faithful follower of Jesus, if you want to be faithful to God and what God wants for you, and as Micah was saying to the people of that day, hey, I need you to hear, this is what God is requiring of you, to do justice, to love kindness, and to walk humbly with your God. That's what's important. It's just like saying it's not the Ten uh, Suggestion, it's the, the Ten Commandments, right? God has given us his law. God has given us uh, what he needs us to do. And here, God through Micah is saying, I need you to hear this, people. You've caught up in the worldly things. You're, you're becoming too self-centered and making the world about you. You're not being kind to one another. Uh, and that day, and if you read through all of the six chapters of Micah, you'll see a lot of the Israeli people, the people of Israel, were taking land, and they were uh, the people that were really living on the edge. Uh, they would use their wealth, and they would you know, almost steal the land away uh, from people. Uh, and it was becoming kind of a corrupt thing and the rich were getting richer and the poor were getting poorer and uh, it was such a setting that uh, God was saying look you're not being just to each other you're not being kind to each other you're so self-centered and trying to build yourself up and this is the word that Micah came to bring to the people now, if we read the verses leading up to the eighth verse here in the sixth chapter, we would see that the problem that a lot of them were having were, were that they were kind of trying to you know, live their religion out front where people could see it, but it wasn't deep within their heart. It wasn't really who they were. They were acting as if that they were uh, children of God and uh, people in the house and the family of God. And so the words were coming and Micah was trying to say, look, you're showing off, you're trying to do all these things, but listen, uh, what you really need to do is give yourself completely to God. And this is how he built up to this eighth verse. He was saying, now what kind of sacrifice would it be good for you to give to God? 
to, to show your appreciation, uh, to show that you're really focused on letting God be in charge of your life. What would be a good sacrifice? And at first he kind of says, well, uh, you know, maybe a burnt offering and or uh, a calf that's a year old. Now, when uh, the people heard that, they were going, yeah, that's kind of a normal thing. We would give burnt offerings, a calf, a calf that's a, a year old, that would be normal. But then Micah jumps to kind of an extreme, and he says, uh, or, or maybe you would give thousands of rams or 10,000 rivers of oil that you might give, or even, he says, your firstborn might be what you sacrifice, what you offer to God. Now, when I read the, the commentaries on this, some of the scholars were observing, well, many people kind of say, well, look, he's just over-exaggerating, trying to make a point that it's so extreme. But in truth, even to the point of giving my firstborn, there were other religions that would literally sacrifice their child. And so that wasn't really so far out of the realm of understanding for them. And what he was really saying was, you can give to the extreme everything you have, you can give it all, but if, if your heart isn't right with God, if you're not doing justice, if you're not uh, you know, loving kindness, if you're not humbly walking with God, then you're really wasting your time. Later in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, Paul picks up on this same concept. In fact, you know that uh, 1 Corinthians 13, we often call it the love chapter because it describes what love is and what love is and etc. And one of the things that is said in the third verse uh, of that passage is, if I give away all that I have, but do not love, I gain nothing. And that's the message of, of Micah to the people. Look, you can give away everything you have, but if you haven't given God your heart, if you haven't given God yourself, it's really nothing. You must love God completely. So how are we going to go about showing God how much we appreciate having life in him and how much God loves us so we show our love back to God? Well, Micah gives us three ideas in this passage. So let's take a look at it. First, he says, do justice. And to do justice means to do what is just or what is right. Justice is a foundational principle that is rooted in the very character and nature of God. The Bible says we are created in the image of God, and therefore we must understand that we should take on the character and the nature of God and seek to live in the world in such a way. And really, justice, being just, is who God is. And therefore, if we're going to be uh, in the image of God and living out our lives, if we're going to show God our love for him and seek to take on his ways, then we need to do justice. Uh, several decades ago now, you may know that um, there was this big movement and everybody wore a bracelet that said WWJD. Remember that? Uh, you may have had those bracelets. I know I did. What would Jesus do? WWJD. What would Jesus do? Well, that's a very simple thing that we might ask when we try to figure out how do we do justice? Uh, how do we uh, act in such a way uh, that we're doing what is right and just in the world? Well, for whatever we do, we might stop and say, well, what would Jesus do in this situation? And then try to do what Jesus would do. And in so doing, I can tell you, we would be doing justice the way God wants us to do justice. So first, if we want to show God how much we love God, we are to do justice. Second, 
to love kindness. Kindness is kind of a universal language that transcends all cultural, uh, all social barriers that are in there. Doesn't matter what language, what color, what social uh, place you are on the uh, social ladder. It doesn't matter who's your people. It, it, kindness transcends every barrier that's out there. It is a selfless act of compassion, of empathy, uh, uh, of understanding towards others. Of, it, motivates, uh, it is motivated from a genuine desire to alleviate somebody else's suffering and bring joy and comfort into their lives. Kindness is not merely a gesture, uh, it's, an, it's a, a way of being, it's a way of living our lives, of who we are. It's a reflection of the goodness and love that resides within each of us, for we are created in the image of God. Kindness can take on many forms. It can be a simple smile to brighten someone's day. It, it could be a kind word uh, to lift their spirits. It could be a helping hand to support them in their times of need. Uh, and many of these small acts of kindness, it is then that we have a most profound impact in the life of someone else, creating uh, an opportunity for a ripple effect of positivity and warmth that spreads from one person to the next person to the next person. You know, right here as I was thinking about that, I, I thought, you know, I, I, I remember a time I was in Chick-fil-A through the drive-thru, and when I pulled up to pay, the person said to me, the person ahead of you paid for your meal. Well, they were already gone. I said, well, that's nice. You know what I want to do? Hey, pay for the one behind me, right? It kind of had a ripple effect. They were kind to me. Little did I know how much they had ordered. <laughs> when I thought about that, though, I thought, you know, really, that's a pretty easy way out to just, you know, pay for the meal of the person behind you. Because they didn't drive up there unable to afford a meal. You know, it was, a, it was a kind act of the person in front of me to do. It had a ripple effect, and I shared it with the next person. I don't know how far it went after me, but really I think the kinds of actions that we should take should impact those who don't have. If we can be kind to everybody, but truly if we can seek to do something that would touch the life of someone vulnerable that needs that act of kindness to them, then we can start making a difference. And in this world in which uh, it is so often harsh and unforgiving and indifferent, kindness stands out as a beacon of hope and humanity, uh, of love for one another. It has the power to bridge the divides. It has the power to heal the wounds. It has the power to build connections between people of different backgrounds and different beliefs. Kindness not only benefits the receiver, but it also nourishes the soul of the one who gives, filling them, filling us with a sense of fulfillment and purpose and joy. I'm always, I'm always blessed when I try to be a blessing to somebody else. When I can offer kindness to somebody else, it seems like often I'm the one that feels the most joy from the situation. And if we are followers of Jesus Christ, then we are called to embody the spirit of kindness in all that we do. 
The Bible is filled with passages of Scripture that emphasize this spirit of kindness, of showing and uh, loving kindness to others. Um, and, and perhaps one of the great ones is in that parable that talks about the end of the world where it's the great judgment. And, you know, Jesus has gathered all the people and he, he says, you know, hey, um, you know, you, you did not feed me when I was hungry. You did not give me water when I was thirsty. You did not clothe me when I was naked. And, and the people then said, well, wait, when did we ever see you and, and not give you water and not give you clothing and not give you food? And he says, well, I tell you, when you did not do it to one of these, the least of these, my brothers and sisters, then you did not do it to me. And then the very ones that had done those things, and he said, listen, you gave me water when I was thirsty. You gave me food when I was hungry. You clothed me when I was naked. And they said, when did we see you and do this? When? And he said, when you did it to the least of these, my brothers and sisters, you did it to me. And then he invited them to enter into his joy forever. You see, what Jesus is saying is, when we show kindness to others, including the least of these in our world today, we're actually doing that to Christ himself. And he says in this story that we will be judged by the way we show love and kindness to the least of these. So let us strive uh, to be vessels of God's kindness, sharing his love and grace with everybody around us and those especially who are in need let us seek opportunities uh, to sow seeds of kindness uh, in our communities, in our workplace, in our families. Everybody needs to know kindness. And knowing that even the smallest acts of kindness can make a significant difference in the lives of someone in, in any particular situation can turn their world and change things forever. May our lives be a reflection of Christ himself a reflection of God's boundless love that he has, his compassion that shines through us to the world. Secondly, we hear from Micah the significance of loving kindness. And doesn't the world today need to be more kind? And that should start with us. Finally, thirdly, Micah says, to walk humbly with our God. This word, humble, to walk humbly with our God, means that we lower ourselves. You know, we get so puffed up. We get so proud of ourselves. We get so self-centered. Uh, and what uh, Micah is saying to the people of Israel and what God is still saying through Micah to us today is, you need to lower yourself to, to, to be less self-centered and more God-centered. That's what God requires of us. If we're going to walk humbly with our God, we need to let God be the center of our lives and our decisions, how we live and how we act. Um, we need to put God first and foremost. Uh, and that means to do more than just kind of uh, put, the, put the show on, if you will. There are many perhaps who, who um, we could say uh, they wear their cross or they come to church and, and, and uh, worship or they uh, become members of a church and, and they're doing it for various reasons. And what this is really calling us to do is to completely give yourself to God to lower the self-centeredness and to raise up within you the God-centeredness that God may live 
that I may die. Paul would say that I may die so that God may live and others might see God in me. It requires more than just joining a church. Back in uh, the last century, uh, Harry Emerson Fosdick was a, a pastor and pretty well much well-known pastor and writer. Uh, he wrote a book called Dear Mr. Brown. And there's a paragraph in this that describes what we're talking about right here. This is what he says. So many church members are second-hand Christians. Their Christianity is formal, not vital. They have inherited it from their families, borrowed it from their friends, married it, taken it over like a cut of their clothes from the fashion of their group. Their churchmanship is a part of respectability, not hypocritically professed. They believe it after a fashion, but the profound experiences of the soul which transform character, sustain strength and courage, dedicate life, and make God ultimately real, they have not known this firsthand. And then he says, they are Christians by hearsay. What I want us to know, what I want us to experience today, folks, is that the real life that we can only have through Jesus Christ, a life that seeks to be in the image of God, a life that fills us in such a way that it's not just about show, it's about who we are, it's about our character and our nature seeking to be like God, and therefore, in the image of God, let us do justice. Let us love kindness and let us walk humbly with our God. If we are to do what Micah says, which is exactly what Jesus did and therefore what we should do as well, then we are to do these things each and every day. In fact, as followers of Jesus, it is a requirement, not a suggestion that we do that. And if we do that, you know what? It won't be minor league stuff. It'll be major league stuff. We will be changing the world. We'll be connecting the world with God's love. Because I guarantee you, if each and every one of us went out, out in this world and we did justice and we loved kindness and we walk humbly with our God, it would mean something to someone else. And they might say, I want that. I want that for myself. And that's how we connect the world with God's love. That's what I hope I do every day, what I hope we will do. Let us do these things as those who are created in the image of God. That's my hope and prayer for you and for me. Let us pray. Holy and loving God, we're so grateful for the scriptures that point us in the right direction. For we often realize that we fall short and we recognize that we are no different than those who heard the message of Micah in his day. We also need to hear these words today. So what do we have to offer you? We might have so many things, but what is the most significant thing we can give to you, O oh God? The most significant thing we have to offer you, the most significant thing that you desire from us is that we give ourselves completely to you that we seek to live our lives as an image of the one who created us, to live our lives according to your nature and your character. So help us, O oh God, to do justice, 
to love kindness, and to walk humbly with you. We pray in Christ's name. Amen and amen.